Alhamdulillah, tonight is the 27th of April in the year 2023. And Alhamdulillah, we moved on to the fourth night that we're going through the illustrious and blessed life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu. And I've reached a point where I've mentioned that he's embraced Islam. So in terms of how early Abdullah ibn Mas'ud who's embracing Islam was, there's a difference of opinion. Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalari said, Rahmatullah in Al-Isab, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud embraced Islam after 11 or 12 other companions. So this is one view. So he was the 11th or 12th or 13th companion to embrace Islam. But most of the respected scholars rank Ibn Mas'ud even higher. For in their works it mentions Sayyidina Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud was the 6th person to embrace Islam. Recorded by Hafiz Ibn Jawzi in his Sifat al-Safwa, volume 1, page 395. Hafiz Zahabi in his Seer, volume 1, page 431. Hafiz Ibn al-Atir in his Asad al-Ghaba, volume 3, page 256. Marif al-Ahadith, volume 4, page 555 of the New English Translation. So, there's a difference of opinion. But they all agree that he was one of the elite, early forerunners. So, either he's at, late, at the latest, the 13th to embrace Islam, or the 6th. <coughs> So now what's interesting, he's amongst the elite who embraced Islam, but his profession was he was a shepherd. So now why is that fascinating? Because the Prophet said in Sayyid Bukhari, all the Prophets were shepherds. So why were all the Prophets والسلام, given the task of looking after flocks of goats and sheep? And the response is to train them, part of their training, to look after those who were weak, uh, and to nurture into them patience, etc., etc. So that was also part of the training of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Why? Because ulama waditatul anbiya. The Prophet said in Abu Dawud authentic, the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. So if ibn Mas'ud is not a scholar, then we got problems. So that is also worth pointing out that he was a shepherd. So the next section entitled. The initial hiding of his Iman. Upon embracing Islam, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud together with a score of many other companions had initially kept their Iman hidden due to the weakness of the Muslims at the time. So where's the proof of this? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud himself relates and Mujahid the first seven who made the Islam public were Rasulullah Abu Bakr Ammar his mother Sumayya Suhaib Bilal and Miqdad Khabab is mentioned instead of Miqdad in another report so there's a difference of opinion whether it was Miqdad or Khabab but these were the seven. Then the report says, 
as far as Rasulullah was concerned, he was given protection by his uncle Abu Talib. Abu Bakr was protected by his tribe, by his tribe, Banutain. The remaining Muslims were arrested by the idolaters, for they were at the mercy without any protection. They forced them to wear iron armors and then lie them down in the sweltering sun, i.e. of the desert, during midday. Due to these severe persecutions, all of them, except Bilal apparently obeyed or pretended to obey the idolaters. However, Bilal would not yield to them. I, his hatred for the unbelievers was such that he refused to give them even that much pleasure. He thus let himself be persecuted severely in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was thus mocked and ridiculed amongst the whole of the tribe. If this was not enough, he was then handed over to the urchins of Makkah, who would then drag his battered and weakened body in the streets, and he would simply say, Ahadun Ahad, I the unique, the unique. So this is the report. So now, where is this recorded? This is recorded in Ibn Majah, number 150. Ahmad in his Musnad, 5-319. Sheikh Ahmad Shakir, Rahmatullah, in his checking stated Sahih. Hakim in his Mustadrak 3-284, Sahih. Zahabi, Sahih. Ibn Hiban, Sahih. Behagi in his Delay al-Nubu'a 2-282. Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat, volume 3, page 178 of the English translation in the chapter on the Companions of Badr. Abu Nu'im al-Hilya, number 320. Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Musannaf, Qanzul Umal, volume 7, page 14. Hafiz Ibn Abdul Bar in his Al-Istiyab, volume 1, page 141. Al-Bidayah 3-64, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 489-90 of the New English Translation. Shaykh al-Bani, Rahmatullah, states Hassan in his Sahih Sunan Ibn Majah, 1-30. So this is an authentic report. It's recorded in Ibn Majah, the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, and many other references. So how is this related to Ibn Masood? It's related to Ibn Masood because he's relating this narration. So what did he say? He made it explicit. The first seven who made the Islam public were. Now, what's interesting about that statement? If he was the sixth to embrace Islam, he's got to be on the list. Have you understood? But did he name himself? No. So what does that mean? He was hiding his iman. This is a proof. Because these were the first seven who made the Islam public. So obviously, the Prophet Abu Bakr Siddiq, and the rest, they were left to the mercy. Ammar, Sumayya, Suhaib, Bilal, Mikdal, or Khabab. Rasulullah was protected from his, from, uh, with his uncle, Abu Bakr with his tribe. The remainder were put into torture. And Ibn Masood famously mentioned what happened to Sayyidina Bilal. And similarly, Abdullah Ibn Masood, he had related, so this is recorded. I'll give you the reference. In Sahih Bukhari, number 520, Sahih Muslim, number 4421. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, once whilst Rasulullah was performing his salah near the Kaaba, Abu Jahl with his comrades were sitting nearby. Another report adds a detail. 
In Tabarani Bazar Al Hedmi in Majma Al Zawaid, Volume 6, page 18, comments upon the chain of narrators. Hayat al Sahab, Volume 1, page 461 of the New English Translation. Abu Nu'im and his Delay Nubu, page 90, relates similar. Seven members of the Quraysh were sitting in the Hatim. There were Abu Jahl ibn Hisham, Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, Utba ibn Rabi'ah, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'id, Umayyah ibn Khalf, and another two persons. Whenever Rasulullah went into prostration, وسلم, he would lengthen his prostration. So now this is not in Bukhari and Muslim, this is another report, but it's adding details. So Rasulullah is praying next to the Qabr, and that shows his bravery. Abu Jahl were sitting in the Hatim. So they actually inside the Qab. <laughs> this is the part of the Qab which is now represented by a curved wall. Who were sitting there? The other report says there were seven. Abu Jahl, Shayba ibn Rabia, his brother, Utba ibn Rabia. Who else? The master of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Uqba ibn Abi Mu'it. <laughs> Umayyah ibn Khalf and another two persons. And who were the other two? They were Walid ibn Utba and Umara ibn al-Walid. Then the report says when the Prophet went into prostration, he lengthened his prostration, meaning he was offering a very lengthy prayer next to the Kaaba. Going back to the report. Abu Jahl thereupon said, referring to a she-camel that had been slaughtered the previous day, who will rise to fetch the entrails of the Shikam of so-and-so and place it between the shoulders of Muhammad when he goes into prostration. So what's up in the report? What's happened? They're getting irritated. His prostration is definitely irritating them. So Abu Jal said, and why was there a slaughtered Shikam? This is important to highlight. Because there was all these idols around the Kaaba. No, we forget to mention that. We get this impression that it was beautifully purified. There was even God knows how many idols. And they would slaughter animals there. And this camel had been slaughtered the previous day. So he goes, who will get the entrails and put it between the shoulders of the Prophet when he's in sujood? The one most accursed amongst the people got up. He brought the entrails. And when the Prophet وسلم, went into prostration, he placed it between his shoulders. Bukhari and Muslim doesn't mention who it was. Who was it? In another report, it mentions the worst of them was Uqba ibn Abi Mu'it who brought it. <laughs> this is in Tabarani, Bazar, Al-Haytami, in Majma Al-Zawaid, Volume 6, page 18, comments upon the chain of narrators. Hayat al-Sahaba, Volume 1, page 461 of the New English Translation. Abu Nu'im and his Delay al Nubu on page 90, relate similar. So who's narrating the hadith? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Who did he say was the worst person? His master. <laughs> it was the one who was, he was looking after his flocks. Because he was the one who did it. Going back to the main report in Bukhari and Muslim. They then burst into laughter. Some of them leaning upon the others. I stood looking powerless to help. If I had the power, I would have thrown it away from the back of Rasulullah. Said Allah, stop. <laughs> Is he, has he exposed his iman? No. See, when people make statements, you need proof, right? How do you know that Ibn Masood didn't expose his iman? you got to look at the text. He goes, seven were the first to proclaim the Islam. He didn't mention himself, previous report. Now he's saying, I didn't have the strength. 
if he was a Muslim, he was duty bound to go and help the Prophet ﷺ. But what was happening? He hadn't exposed his iman. Meanwhile, the Prophet ﷺ had remained in prostration. He did not raise from it until a man went to his dwelling and informed his daughter Fatima, who was a young girl at the time, when she heard, she rushed to the spot and she removed the filth from her father. Then she turned towards the men, rebuking them, and they did not say a word. So look at the bravery of young Fatima, the leader of the women of paradise. Right. So she rebukes all of them. In other words, you can imagine what she said. When he finished his salat, he then showed signs of anger. And he then made dua. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, deal with the Quraysh. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, deal with the Quraysh. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, deal with the Quraysh. When they heard his voice, their laughter vanished abruptly. And they began to immediately fear his curse. But it was too late. <laughs> Look how strange. If they didn't believe he was a prophet, they would have continued laughing. As soon as he made that opening statement, look what happened. What happened to your laughter? Then he made this dua, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, deal with Amr ibn Hisham, Abu Jahl, Utbah ibn Rabia, Hind's father, Shaiba ibn Rabia, Hind's uncle, Al-Wadid ibn Utbah, Hind's brother, Umayya ibn Khalaf, big shaitan. Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, ibn Masood's master. And Umar ibn al-Walid, radiyallahu anhu. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sorry, radiyallahu anhu, I made a mistake, right? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I saw them all struck dead on the day of Badr. And they were then dragged to Al-Qalib, an old well, the Qalib of Badr. Rasulullah thereupon said, upon seeing them, وسلم, the people of Al-Qalib have been followed by a curse. I, the supplication he had made against them around a decade or so earlier. So let's look at this. So who is narrating this whole incident? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And he is an eyewitness and ear witness to what's happening. And this also shows what was he doing around the Kaaba. This shows that he was a shepherd, but he was wanting to know, to be close to the Prophet When he saw the, the Quraysh chieftains do what they did, he had no strength because I couldn't do anything. I was powerless. Fatima came. Now, what does that tell you about Fatima? He was stronger than Ibrahim Masood. Think about that. She didn't hesitate. She not only helped her father, she rebuked the Quraysh chieftains. And they just looked and didn't say anything. And then the Prophet got angry. So now a person queries this. Rasulullah, he would always overlook. He was the most merciful forbearance. He would only overlook and show forbearance if it was with regards to himself. This was Salat. So the Prophet would only get angry for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He wasn't bothered about the entrails because they disturbed his Salat. And the curse he made, he mentioned names. Think about that. He didn't even just make it generally. He specified names. And then what did Ibn Masood say? By Allah, I saw them all dead. <laughs> Every one of them. At Badr. 
and they were being dragged to the old well called Al-Qalib. And what did the Prophet say when he saw them? The curse followed them. But he didn't mention his own. He goes, they reached them. Meaning after a 10 year gap, the curse followed them. So now, note how Abdullah ibn Mas'ud's master, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'id, was the most accursed amongst them. And Abu Jahl was named public enemy number one by our beloved messenger. So why do I say that? Because if you look at the report, what, did, what does the report in Tabarani say? Ibn Masood said, the worst of them was Uqba ibn Abi Mu'it. There's the proof for him being the worst. Then how can Abu Jahl be public enemy number one? Because who was the first name the Prophet mentioned on the hit list? Abu Jahl. He goes, oh Allah, deal with Amr ibn Hisham. That was his real name. So there's no contradiction. Who was the worst? According to Ibn Mas'ud, it was his master. And who was public enemy number one? Abu Jahl, the first on the hit list. In another report, it mentions, and this adds a detail which is very important. <coughs> so this is in Tabarani, Bazar, al Hatami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 6, page 18, comments upon the chain of narrators. Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 46, 1-2 of the New English Translation. Abu Nu'im and his Delay Nubu'ah, page 90, relates similar. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu he said, Rasulullah lifted his head, sallallahu alayhi wa as he normally lifted it after completing salah. And when he finished his salah, he supplicated, O oh Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, deal with the Quraysh, deal with Utbah, Uqba, Abu Jahl, and Shayba. He repeated this dua three times and then left the masjid. So he makes that dua, he makes it thrice, he leaves the harm, the masjid al Wearing his whip as a belt, Abu Bakhtari met Rasulullah and noticed the distressed look on his face. So now stopping the report. So Rasulullah has left the, the blessed masjid and he bumps into a man called Abu Bakhtari. Abu Bakhtari. And Abu Bakhtari, he would carry a whip on his belt. When he saw the Prophet's face, he saw him distressed. So he asked, what's the matter? The Prophet said, please leave me to myself. In other words, I'd rather not say. Abu Bakhtari insisted. He goes, Allah Ta'ala knows that I shall never leave you to yourself until you now inform me what has happened. Have you been hurt? When Rasulullah realized that Abu al-Bakhtari would not leave him alone, he informed him of what had happened. So Abu al-Bakhtari was a noble person. He saw the Prophet and he goes, who would have heard this most noble man? He goes, who's done it? When the Prophet told him, Abu al-Bakhtari said, come with me back to the masjid. When Rasulullah and Abu al-Bakhtari entered the masjid, Abu al-Bakhtari confronted Abu Jahl. And he asked him, O oh, Abu al-Hakam, was it you who instructed that the entrails of a camel should be thrown on Muhammad? Abu Jahl, he nodded, yes. Abu al-Bakhtari swiftly raised his whip and stroked Abu Jahl on the head. <laughs> the people thereupon began scuffling with one another. Abu Jahl thereupon shouted, Shame on you people. 
Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam wants us to be at loggerheads whilst he and his companions remain safe. He goes, leave him. He goes, I did do what I did to Muhammad. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Stop in the report. What happened? Abu al-Bakhtari wanted verification. And he goes, yes, I did do it. And then as, you know, speed of lightning, he got the whip and he smashed it on Abu Jahl's head. Obviously, huge scuffle broke out. Abu Jahl then said, this is what Muhammad wants. He wants us to fight. Whilst he will be safe. He goes, stop. In another report, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud simply said, Radiyallahu. I saw all seven of these polytheists killed during the Battle of Badr. This is in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, Al-Bidaya, volume 3, page 44, Hayat al-Sahab, volume 1, page 462 of the New English Translation. Good riddance. Right? So note, they, they signed their own death warrant, what, in, what they did to the Prophet So now, Abu al-Bakhtari, if you look at his name, he, would, he was a noble man, and he would always help the Prophet but as far as I know, he didn't embrace Islam. <laughs> Whatever the case, there was noble ones amongst them. And they wouldn't tolerate any disrespect to the nobles amongst them. And how many times did Abu Jahl get struck on the head? <coughs> so Abu al-Bakhtari was one. The other famous incident was Hamza. And uh, Hamza who came back from his hunting trip. And he had his... You know, he would go, he was an archer. He had a bow around his waist, around his shoulders. And then somebody called out to him, he goes, somebody has disrespected your nephew. And he usually would go home. But this time he went straight to the harum. And and he would usually do tawaf. He walked straight over to Abu Jahl. And the report says in Tabarani, he took off his bow and he smashed Abu Jahl across the face and the report goes he actually cracked his bone so, I don't know whether it was his jaw but he actually broke some, something of his skull and then there was going to be another scuffle but Abu Jahl goes I did do what I did to Muhammad so Abu Jahl got a, another whack from Hamza so everybody's cracking him on the head so all this is very significant why? because this proves that they all knew he was a shaitan Right? Even though they weren't Muslims, Hamza wasn't a Muslim at the time. Right? Abu al-Bakhtari didn't embrace Islam, but he knew Abu Jahl was in the wrong. So this is also very significant that they were non-Muslims, but they were helping the Prophet Wasallam. They wouldn't tolerate anything untoward towards him. And then later Abu Jahl um, said that Hamza embraced Islam. And then Abu Jahl said, what have you done? Oh, Abu Umar. In other words, you, know, you, in a, you, know, you just spontaneously took the shahada. Why did you do that? And then what happened? Shaitan came to Hamza radiallahu in a dream. And he started rebuking him. He goes, you've left the religion of your forefathers, this, that, and the other, what have you done? So then he goes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and he goes, Ya Rasulullah, he goes, I need to be shown a sign. He goes, what would you like, dear uncle? And he goes, I'd like to see Jibreel. <laughs> so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he said, I don't know whether he asked him not to, but then he requested, and the Prophet then said, Fine. He goes, Look at the Kaaba. When he made dua, Jibreel appeared on top of the Kaaba. And Hamza, who one report said he fainted. When he came around, he goes, Nah, I'm alright. He goes, That wish was has gone. Now, why did he request to see Jibreel? Because when Jibreel comes, Shaitan scatters. On the day of Badr, he saw Jibreel coming. He goes, I'm off. I see what you don't see. He knows about Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam. So again, he wanted shaitan's influence to lead him. 
So Hamza also embraced Islam. Now question, was it the same incident? It appears that it was the same incident. Unless you say it happened twice to the Prophet Whatever the case, notice everything was backfiring what the unbelievers were doing against the Prophet This was actually causing other people to embrace Islam. But the reason I've mentioned this here is to prove that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud had not not publicly exposed his iman. This is important to Allah. He was hiding his iman at the time. So all I mentioned today was basically highlighting how early this most eminent man embraced the glorious truth. He was certainly amongst the, the earliest of the earliest of the companions. And then I mentioned that he was initially hiding his phenomenal iman. And the hadith testified to this. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi ismarka Allahumma bihamdika ashlu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka atubu alayka wa dhibillahi min rajim Subhanallah bika rabbil izzati imma isifun As-salamu ala al-mursaleem Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Wal-asr Al-insan ala fi khusr Al-lazina aminu wa amilu as-salihat Wa asbil haq Wa asbil